Yeah, get me started crying. That's a good way to start a sermon. You may or may not know that, uh, you know, I always start my sermons with something silly. And the reason I do is to get people's attention. And uh, often it's a story about myself, but Rod hit the nail on the head. My wife always says, people don't see your heart, Anthony. I know it, but other people don't. And uh, just to let you know, when I tell stories of myself, it's to bring glory to Jesus. And I want to tell you more of him and less of me. This morning, just to start off with this silly story, has anybody ever bought at Costco the little packages of little, uh, their little egg things? Uh, they're not, they have no meat in them, well, besides the egg. Has anybody ever bought those? Well, I bought them, and I know better than to eat them Sunday morning. The reason I know better is because they're so loaded with garlic. My wife, she, she handed me my toothbrush. Then she handed me some mouthwash. I can still taste the garlic. And she handed me three mints in my pocket in case you come talk to me. And uh, there's your story to get your attention. Beware. If you're a vampire this morning... And no, I don't believe in vampires. But if you're a vampire this morning, watch out. You won't want to be around me. I also this morning, before I get into the Word, want to dispel some rumors. And I've heard a few rumors going around, but I want you to be really clear that Carolyn and I, in the last month, uh, there was a couple of different conversations with some very key people in my life, and a picture came really clear to me. And as we prayed, Carolyn and I realized it was time to move on. And people have asked where, and all I can answer is like Israel, I haven't a clue. It's a promised land. I don't know where it is. And all I can say to you as the stories were relayed to me, it just became more clear, more of Jesus, less of Anthony. I will not be a hindrance to the church. And you know you're the church. You know you're the body of Christ. And COVID, I'm going to be really blunt here, has left us so divided. I mean, social media, our emails, the stories in the newspapers, on TV, YouTube, whatever. It has just been filled with division. Here's why those people are idiots. Here's why those people are idiots. Like, let's, we're the body of Christ. We don't behave this way. Do you know what Jesus' last recorded prayer said? God, let them be one as we are one. That's the church. And today, I want to, this is 13 years, two weeks preaching here. Today, what I wanted to do is give you two things. First is a charge, and it's going to have two points. And then after the charge, I want to give you a blessing. And I want to pray a blessing on you. And we're going to talk about blessing and why we do that in a bit. But I want to give you a charge. Yeah, we're off of 2 Corinthians this morning. It'll be back next week. But let's just pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, more of you, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. You are the reason. When we sing these songs with vibrato, when we rejoice and clap at the end, it's because it's more of you, Jesus. Oh, no, yes, God, we're glad to be together. We're glad to be arm in arm. We're glad to blend our voices. But we do that because of you, Jesus, because of who you are. And, oh, God, like John the Baptist, I am counted a privilege 
to be able to step aside. Somebody else can take this role and do a way better job and probably a different job than me. And that's okay. This is your church. This church survived long before I got here and it'll thrive long after I leave. I believe, God, that as you have filled and directed me, the church has been left healthy and strong and it will thrive. And so, God, as I preach your word today, may I have your anointing. May I have your power. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Some have asked me, so how do you get up and preach when your soul's full of sadness? You're going to find this really weird, but uh, I tell myself in the front pew, six years ago, you preached at your mother's funeral. And you need to know that I told my mom and dad I would never do that. I couldn't hold it together. But I got up and I preached a sermon for my mother. She used to come and just sit in the pew here. And she would sit there beaming. She was way too proud. There wasn't much more of Jesus. It was just all about Anthony in her eyes. But I stood up and I was able to proclaim Jesus for my mom. Because it's all about Jesus. And so I sat in the front pew and I said, you did it at your mother's funeral. You can do it this morning. So quit crying and let's get going. (sighs) My first charge with you is or my first point with you. And this is a, a, a point that I think you guys have, have exhibited so well. And I wanna charge you with the remembrance that you need to have two elements as you follow Jesus. Two elements. One is you need to have grace, or you can call it love, and you need to have truth. One without the other, and you're lost as a church. One without the other, I'm lost as a follower of Christ. In fact, prepared the sermon, everything. I'm reading my devotions this morning in 2 John. And 2 John, which we're going to be quoting out of at the very end. But 2 John, it's an interesting book because he talks about grace and truth. But when he talks about that whole idea of love, he said that love demands a lot of you. And your love for Jesus should impel or propel you into living and doing his commandments. You go, I I thought Jesus came, he was just all about love. No, he was about grace and he was about truth. And he is probably the only human in the entire creation of the world that has been able to blend both perfectly. That's why he was so attractive. They love to come and hear the truth. I mean, he was blunt. Take the log out of your own eye or, or you brood of vipers. I mean, he was truthful. But he was also loving. He was full of grace. And people came from miles around because of who Jesus was and how he administered that. Now, Kerry Neworf, doesn't matter who he was, is, uh, he's become a little bit of a Christian celebrity. He writes some really profound stuff. He wrote this little blog last week, and I thought, man, does this ever fit what I want to say. He says, quoting, from the guy who cut you off in traffic to the offbeat person who's not picking up on the social cues you're sending, to your weed-smoking neighbor, I got one of those, it's so easy to judge, and judgment 
just gets worse from there. It's the basis of racism, sexism, and almost every other ism you can think of. It's also fundamentally incompatible with authentic Christian faith. Jesus said Christians should be known by or for how deeply we love. Yet studies show that in the eyes of many non-Christians, we're known for how deeply we judge, not for how deeply we love. The problem in many cases is not that the unchurched people don't know any Christians. The problem is that they do, and they don't like us for good reason. Christians will argue, however, he writes, well, who's going to stand up for truth, though? Who's going to stand up for truth? Kerry writes, understood. Yet in Jesus, grace and truth are perfectly fused. What Kerry is talking about, friends, is from the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in that order, Chapter 1, and if you've ever read John chapter 1 lately, it talks about, you know, he came amongst us and he's, he came here to love us and a whole bunch of stuff like that. And then you get to verse 17 in John 1, and it says this. Now, we've talked about this a lot as a church, especially through church renewal, because there's the law, there's truth, and then there's grace. For the law was given through Moses, the text says, And grace, and in the Greek, by the way, that Greek word for this grace is the word cherish. Cherish, charis, can't even say how to pronounce it. And grace, literally in the Greek, is the same in the English. It just means extending love, extending understanding, extending compassion, extending forgiveness. For Moses brought the law, grace and truth, though, came through Jesus Christ. Let me explain what it means this way. <coughs> I remember when I was parenting, and I don't get to do that anymore, they're all grown up, I could often see a bad behavior. Now, the Anthony that you need to know, I also really like things in order and done right, and I really wanted to teach my kids about truth. So I would see bad behavior, what it is, whatever it is, and I would lash out, and I'd get angry. And I would say to them, you don't dare do that. That is so wrong. You don't hit your brother. That's mean. That's horrible. Why would you do that? Maybe even to the point where I'd grab their arm and pull them out of the situation. I mean, that is the ungodly version of Anthony that I'm ashamed to talk about. But (laughs) I'm glad to say that I started to learn some lessons. I took some and watched some, well, they were cassettes. It was a long time, listening to some parenting cassettes. And I can remember the Christian speaker, forgotten who he was. He said, when you are dealing with truth with your children, never deal in anger. Now, this is a principle I have applied my whole life. Even Chuck Swindoll listened to a sermon of his about 20 years ago, and he talked about when you're dealing with truth, never do it with anger. Never do it with emotion. I mean, if you have to confront your children, confront your neighbor, confront 
your spouse with something about truth. You do not and should not do it until you actually have some grace and love in your heart because it will not be received. It will be not taken in. And so as a parent, sometimes I would even eat, wait an hour, two hours, days, go for a walk, but I would come back to my children with love. And then we would sit down and I'd put my arm around them and I'd say, now, little Brian, my oldest son, you know, telling me that lie that you didn't eat that candy, you know, chocolate all over his face, that you didn't eat that candy, that wasn't right. And I love you so much and I just want you to know that isn't good behavior. I'd give him a big hug. You see, he'd receive that kind of truth when it was done in love. And you're going, well, what are people that don't receive it like that? We'll get into that in a moment. But we need to have truth. But for goodness sakes, we need to have grace and love also wrapped up in it. Carrie continues to write, listen to this. Remove grace from truth and you don't actually have truth at all. But a cold, steely imitation. This is the shadow side of conservatism. The opposite is also true, of course. Remove truth from grace, and you don't have grace. But a spineless imitation, as you've already figured out, this is the shadow side of liberalism. Fusing grace and truth is an exceptionally difficult venture and is usually only successful when you spend significant amount of time on your knees. And when the source of your tempt at truth is actually Christ himself, and Carrie writes, I am rarely good at it, flipping from one side to the other too quickly. I remember as a child my truth encounters, and I will tell you that my, my dad was much shorter than me, but he had big farmer hands. And when I had truth encounters with my father, uh, usually it really hurt. And, and th you know, I preferred the belt over his hand because his hands were big and it was tough. And I can tell you, uh, those truth encounters, I can remember on a few occasions, my dad would literally grab me by the arm or the scruff of the neck, and it, you know, if I was in my bedroom trying to hide because I knew I was about to get a truth encounter, and he would drag me out into the living room and he'd sit me down and he would say what it was, whatever I did. But on the flip side, I have told you this story at least four times because it left such an impression on me. One day I'm out playing with matches, mom and dad are in town, and I, I, I wondered, does oil burn? So I poured it on some wood behind the shed, and I, I held the match there. And by the way, it doesn't burn quickly. It didn't light, and I'm holding it and holding it. And okay, a little flame. And if you know anything about oil, it is a, a product that burns. And all of a sudden, I had a raging fire about six, seven feet high. I didn't know what to do. I was terrified. I, the shed was wooden. The pile of wood was wooden. And so... I grabbed a piece of plastic and threw it on the fire. It actually, no, no, it actually went out. I was surprised too. I mean, as I think about it, it must have, you know, they made good plastic back then, not like the cheap stuff now. I've told you the story that I packed my bags, I put them on a stick, and I was going to run away because I knew when Dad saw those char marks, I was going to get some truth. 
Dad came home, and uh, I had already, I had run away and returned already because they were gone a while. Dad came home, and I was sitting on the couch. He just looks at me. He goes, what happened? And I put my eyes down, and I said, Dad, I started the shed on fire. And he didn't say another word. He walks outside. He goes to behind the shed, and he comes back. And I thought, okay, you know, is it going to be the belt or the hand? Which truth am I going to get? He looked at me and said, it's okay. There's no real damage done. You see, my dad, rather than get angry, lash out, teach me some truth, he wanted to get the facts straight. And then when he got the facts straight, he came back to me with grace and with love. And he said, Anthony, I can tell by your disposition, by your way you're looking, that you already have been punished. You already understand what this truth is. And he put his arm around me and said, it's okay. You see, that's grace being fused with truth. And if we as a church get so caught up in truth, but we forget grace and love with people, they're not going to listen to us. I am so proud of you as a church. Our faith and deed ministry, and I haven't checked lately, but you guys keep giving so much to it that we can't give it away fast enough. Now, I think they have been eating into the general fund lately, and I know I've said to Annette, like, cut it out, quit being so generous. But it's awesome. You guys are loving on the city with grace. And people, I think, are surprised, because what are we known for? Carrie wrote it. Judgment. Truth encounters. Telling our neighbors, quit smoking that weed. Man, you drive terrible, whatever it might be. Or, or at the restaurant, your service has been so slow, I'm not going to give you anything at all. Carrie goes on to write, oh, this is so good. But when you see grace and truth fused, it takes your breath away. Why did people travel for days on foot in extreme conditions to meet Jesus? Think about that. Grace fused to truth is what our hearts most long for. Second John, <laughs> let love push you into obedience. But in the evangelical church today, Carrie writes, and I'm an evangelical, he says, the hard edge of truth has crushed many. And one of the most frequent expressions of loveless truth is found in judgment. Ouch, Carrie. Ouch. Oh, Chuck Swindoll, that sermon I referred to, uh, he talked about waiting years sometime to speak to somebody about truth until he had the heart of love and grace, until he knew what the facts really were. I mean, literally going out and checking the shed for burn marks. If we as a church, we need to stand with truth. We need to say what's right and wrong, what the Bible teaches, but we need to do it with love, friends. And so you're saying to yourself, well, what happens if people don't receive it even at that? Sometimes that's a good sign you didn't give much grace or love with it. Oh, but I came across this little meme this week. I've read it before, but it fits society. So this meme starts up with the secular society, and here's what they say. We want to do X. And the church says back, you're free to do it. And the secular society says, but you think X is wrong. And the church says, yes. 
Secular society says, because you want to control us. And the church says, no, you're free to do what you want. Secular society says, but you think X is wrong. And the church says, yes, but only because we want your ultimate good, there's grace and love, which is the definition of love. Secular society says to that, we love you, want your best. They say, but we want to do X. And the church says, you're free to do it. Secular society says, but we want you to say that X is good. And the church says, we cannot say that. And secular society says, why do you hate us? You know, it's, it can be really tough, I know, to mix grace and truth. And, and as Carrie writes, sometimes if, if we as Christians, and boy have I learned this in the last three and a half year with church renewal. And by the way, the elders are so excited to carry on with church renewal. Uh, they are not going to stop. They're going to keep at it. They want us as a church to become even more into hearing God, uh, being obedient and being in the word every day and, and letting him lead us. So I just want you to know that God wants truth, but he wants us to listen and be on our knees so much so that we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And if you don't have that fruit of the Spirit, don't do the truth thing. Just don't go there. And you go, well, I need to, who else? No, you doing truth without grace, you're going to mess it up. Like go off in prayer, go for a walk, spend a year if you need to. The truth can wait. Because it needs to be done. Because Jesus himself came with truth, and he wasn't afraid to say it, but he had love. He had grace. He had forgiveness. I mean, his love and grace was so strong, so deep, he went to the cross. And he died a death he didn't deserve. So that you and I could have forgiveness and truth and grace. So I charge you, Grand Prairie Alliance Church, this morning, teach truth, proclaim truth, Live truth, but always, always mix in a dose of grace with it, and you'll be okay. And some in the community might not like that even, but there's going to be a lot of people attracted to the gospel. So my final and last point, I want to bless you. And the reason I want to bless you is really, really important to me. I want to bless you because I love you. And I want to bless you because it's more of Jesus and less of me. Blessing in the scriptures is an intentional act of saying others are more important than you. When you say to somebody, God bless you, it means they're more important. In fact, even if you go through soul care and even our set free weekends that we do here at the church, uh, one of the good ways to get over bitterness and anger and unforgiveness is to pray blessing on people. And I would even say another step on that is to actually go, the Lord bless you. A friend of mine was talking about that this week. But don't get misunderstood here. I'm not blessing you because I have anger and bitterness towards you. In fact, it's the opposite. I love you guys. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, there's a lot of assumptions laid right at that first word. There's, there's a connection, a relationship, a, a, a presence of Christ in your life. You're actually spending time in the day. You're, you're not just all about truth. You're, you're actually going to the grace giver, Jesus. 
If any comfort from his love, connection again. If any common sharing in the spirit, connection again. If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing. Grand Prairie Alliance Church, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, take our opinions and throw them in the back of the pickup truck, as Rod talked about. Your pickup, throw it in the back. Take your opinion back there. And let's show people some love. Let's, let's consider them more important than us. Do nothing out of ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, in humility, uh, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you remember Jesus said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, pick your story. If your enemy is hungry, tell him the truth. You're lazy. You don't deserve to eat. God is judging you. That's why you have no food. Jesus said, feed them. Grace and truth. I mean, even when we give them a cup of cold water, you're supposed to do it in Jesus' name. But, but the reality is, you need to show people love and grace. And then you'll have opportunity to speak the truth. Because they'll ask you, like, what is it about you? Why do you live the way you do? It's because I love Jesus and he loves me. And my love for Jesus compels me to live a truthful way. Blessing others in the Bible is so important. And especially in the Middle East. I, I did a little bit of looking around and researching. In the Middle East, in Asia, in, in South America, in Africa. We in Canada, we don't do this a lot. Uh, anybody wonder why? I, I started thinking, why don't we bless each other? Uh, we're so scientifically minded. We're not getting into this hokey blessing stuff. We're just going to go out and work hard. We're going to feed ourselves. I mean, Scripture does talk about that. If somebody doesn't want to work, they shouldn't eat. That's truth. But how do you get a person that is starving to death to the point of working, right? Give them some love. Give them some grace. Grace and truth must be mixed together. But blessing others is super important. Unfortunately, we only bless them if they sneeze or if we like them. I love you guys. 13 years. And it's been, last Sunday I sat on the pew and I thought, wow, what a place. This is incredible. Look what you've done, Jesus. I mean, even the worship this morning, I mean, you guys couldn't help but cheer and I just go, Wow, I mean, these great big screens, these speakers that we had to replace during COVID, those are frustrating, but they sure sound good. And friends, you are the body of Christ. And I'm gonna do something really weird for you this morning. I was raised by a German, so I know some of that European sentimentality. We're not terribly touchy-feeling, and we don't do a lot of demonstrative stuff. That means stuff that's emotional and out there. I mean, you can see in our church, if you get somebody that loves and is really into worship, they stick out like a sore thumb. It's getting better. There's more of us that have been able to remove those shackles of restraint. But I'm going to ask you to stand. 
And I'm going to ask you in a moment to put out your hand to receive this blessing. And you're going to go, I, I was raised by a German. You can do it. You can bring it out for one Sunday. But I'm going to read to you two verses of blessing. And I really want you to soak them up. And the first one's in 2 John verse 3. And this passage says, so put your hands out. Put your hands out. Okay, you're going to receive this. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. And by the way, that love word's the agape love. Agape love's the kind of love that isn't based on feeling. It's just something you do. It's something God gives you. And I want to give you just one more blessing this morning from Numbers chapter 6. This, this the, the sort of prelude to this verse, Numbers 6.24, uh, Aaron, who was the priestly class of families, he was told, this is what you need to do to bless your countrymen. And so again, I want you to put up your hands. I'm going to put my hands up too because I want to push out God's blessing to you. Listen and hear to this carefully. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Okay, you can put your hands in your pocket, but stay standing for a moment. In conclusion, last conclusion. Hold to and teach truth, but be kind. Secondly, Get your eyes off yourself and bless others with words, gifts, hugs, or maybe even a meal or whatever the Lord tells you to. You know, and if your neighbor's lighting up that pot and he can't find his matches, go find some matches for him. Then you might be able to speak truth to him because you've been loving. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray a blessing now on the church. Grand Prairie Alliance Church, I know when you look down, you smile. And I think of which, which of the seven churches in Revelation would we be? I don't know. And I think we're probably that rich church. <laughs> but God, hopefully we're known for our deeds. We're known for our love of our community. Oh God, when, when there's need, our church just rises up. When, the, when, when Colette needed an antenna, we just rose up and we raised the money in a Sunday. Oh God, thank you for blessing us. And more than anything, blessing us with generosity and with grace and with love. And oh God, would you bless these people more and more of Jesus and less and less of themselves. Let us consider others more important than ourselves. Let us put others first over our own wants and desires and needs. And oh God, would you bless this church and bless whoever the next lead pastor is. Just bless his socks off like I've been blessed. This has been the funnest 13 years of my life. It has been such a blast, and I've been so enjoyed being a part of it. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.